Hey, seasoned athletes, I'm Robin Leggett, and this is episode 22 of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. This is your home for inspiring stories and motivational advice from competitive athletes from a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We're here to prove one story at a time that age does not have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. To learn more about this podcast and see show notes from this or any episode, visit seasonedathlete.me. And if you like what you hear, I would love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash seasonedathlete. I know of at least a couple seasoned athlete guests whose memoirs are available on Audible, including Lita Petro's Against the Wind and Catherine Switzer's Marathon Woman. So I encourage you to download their audiobooks while enjoying your 30-day free trial at audible.com slash seasoned athlete. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that this is the part where I normally introduce this week's guest. But today, we're doing something a little different. You see, at the moment I'm recording this podcast, which is uh, about 12 noon on Tuesday, November 14th, 2017, it is my 43rd birthday. So in honor of my becoming one year more seasoned, I decided that I'd let you interview me this week. A few days ago, I posted a call to Facebook for you to submit any questions or topics that you'd like me to talk about in this week's episode, and I received some really great questions. So thank you so much to those who sent me questions. Without further ado, let's get this birthday podcast show on the road. My first question is from Kathleen Michael. She asks, why are some people inspired by competition and others are repelled? Most of my friends are better athletes than I am, but won't enter any run that has the word race in it. Excellent question, Kathleen. And on the Facebook thread, uh, one of your friends answered, and I think it's the friend you had in mind when you asked this question. It was Mark Eldridge who said, for me, with a competitive nature, too great a chance of hurting myself by pushing too hard. So the way I look at it, there are two things that might turn someone off from participating in competitive events. Number one, uh, any competitive event is risk versus reward. Any sport, any race, any any sort of thing where you're you're putting yourself out there physically, it's risk versus reward, right? So the reward, let's tackle that first. The reward is maybe a medal at the end of the race. Maybe it's how you feel by doing something that you didn't think you were capable of doing previously. Uh, maybe the reward is a personal best, which we're going to actually address later in the episode, but there's lots of rewards, but what, what's the risk? Well, injury is a really big risk when you're putting yourself out there as it currently stands, I'm injured from a race that happened. So my last race, it was a Spartan race at big bear. And I strained my calf really badly at the end of the race. And now my next race is a question mark. I'm supposed to run in early or uh, December 10th. I'm supposed to do another Spartan race and I'm doing my best to rehab this injury where this injury is actually preventing me from being able to run or jump, which are major components in the races that I do. So as it currently stands, I'm injured and that sucks. Uh, but for me personally, the reward is worth the risk. So I love doing these races. I love how I feel from doing these races. And so the reward to me is worth the risk. I'm okay 
with being injured in a race, you know, within reason, but I'm okay. I also come from a background where I played roller derby for 11 years and you really have to be okay with the risk versus reward ratio in a sport, a full contact sport like roller derby, because there's a lot of potential risk for injury. And I've known a lot of people who've been severely injured in that sport. And it was really interesting to see over the years, the different ways people reacted to being injured. Some people, you know, I've, I saw a lot of ankle breaks over the years. It's a sport that the risk is an ankle break, right? Roller derby. Yeah. You're on roller skates, doing a full contact sport. An ankle break is a real risk. And I saw people who would break an ankle and do their best to come back as soon as humanly possible from that break. And some people back in six to eight weeks or, you know, give or take, it depends on the severity of the injury, obviously, others took longer, but they, their goal was to come back. And there were others that maybe they would hurt themselves that severely or less severely. And they would like, you know what, I'm kind of done here. Like this isn't worth it to me to injure myself in this way. So you really have to look at your own personal risk versus reward scale and decide is, is the potential for injury worth the feeling that I feel or the rewards or the accolades or the trophies or whatever it is, the free t-shirt that you get at the end, whatever it is, is the potential risk of injury worth it to me? So risk versus reward. And it sounds like for Mark, the risk isn't worth the reward for him. And it's a personal thing. Everybody's different. So that's one thing that I think might turn someone off from participating in competitive events. Another thing is some people just don't derive joy or motivation from being compared with or competing against other people. Some people just aren't into that for whatever reason. Some people get really fired up by that. Um, that if you're, if you're pitted head to head against other people and someone finishes faster than you, some people are really fired up. That makes them want to work harder and makes them want to get stronger and get faster. And other people feel demoralized by that. And it's just, it's personal. It's a personal thing. And it might stem from, who knows what it might stem from. Maybe for some people, it's how they perceived the role of competition in their life from early childhood, that maybe they had some negative experiences in being put in competitive situations. Um, I did a podcast a little while back called Playgrounding. I was a guest on this podcast. And it's all about the role of play in our lives, particularly for adults. And um, the host, Kara, brought me on to talk about uh, competitionist play specifically. And apparently that is a topic that's somewhat controversial to her guests that, or, or to her audience, I should say, because many people listening have a negative view of competition and they don't think that kids should be put in competition against each other and that might breed negative self-esteem and that could then translate into adulthood. And I came on to actually talk about the positive benefits of competition in play, you know, using things like Spartan race, which I do as an example. So, um, some people just automatically have that negative view of competition and they don't want any part of it. And you know what? That's okay. That's fine. I, as a kid, <laughs> had a negative view of competition. I wasn't an athlete. I wasn't athletic. I was last picked for sports. I, I like sports and competition were negative for me. And somehow as an adult, they became positive for me. I found the joy in it. So this can change over the course of your life, but, um, may not be for everybody. So those are the two things, the risk versus reward and whether or not you even derive any joy from it. Um, those are the things that I think might turn people off of competing and maybe they're better athletes and maybe they like 
training and working out and running on their own, but they don't want to do a race. And that's okay. Like, that's totally okay. You should really, as an adult, only do things that you derive joy from, particularly recreational things or sports or, you know, if you're, if it's not your job and hopefully you derive some level of joy from your job, but if it's not your job, um, why do it if it doesn't make you happy? You know, that's, that's just something to keep in mind. So that's, that's hopefully, uh, Kathleen, that answers your question in a satisfying way. That's a really fun one to dig into. And of course, if, if anyone listening has any opinions, you're welcome to, uh, send them to me. Of course, right now, as I'm recording this podcast, we are on Facebook live and Instagram live, so I can get some real time responses if people choose to do that. And then I can actually share them right in this episode, which is why this episode is fun. All right, let's move on to my next question. This one's from Haley Daly, a former guest at one of my, uh, elite seasoned athletes. I've got, I've created this little club of seasoned athletes that I, um, am so honored to know and have met over the course of the, the 20, well, 20 episodes of interviews. Cause my very first episode was also just me. So, uh, 20 interviews that I've done up until today. Um, I've met some amazing seasoned athletes, Haley Daly, AKA the Forecloser, a roller derby skater out of the Bay area. She is someone I've known for many years. I competed against her in roller derby years ago. We've we've skated with and against each other many years. So she and I go way back. And I also want to congratulate Haley because she ran her first Spartan race this weekend. So uh, up in Sacramento. So Haley, if you're listening, and I hope you are, congratulations for uh, finishing your first Spartan race. I hope to run one with you uh, sometime in the future. So Haley's question, what motivates you on the daily to keep up with your regimen? Excellent question. And it actually uh, plays very well into that first question that Kathleen asked. And that is, for me, competition. That's what motivates me. So I always like to have an event on my calendar. Uh, An event can be a race, a Spartan race, a road race, a competition of some kind, a fitness competition, something on my calendar scheduled and ready to go. Um, I'm always adding new ones and I like having something very specific for which I'm training. So for example, I currently have a Spartan race on my calendar, December 10th. I'm actually knock on wood. I'm not going to, cause it's a podcast and we don't want to hear that, but knock on wood, I'm supposed to run two races on December 10th. I am, I signed up for the elite heat of the Spartan race. To the, so to run with the best of the best. And then a little bit later that day, I'm signed up to run with a team. And so it will actually be 10 miles that day. It's five miles each, give or take about 10 miles that day. So that's the thing on my calendar that I am training for. And right now I am dealing with an injury where I cannot run and I cannot jump because of my calf. So I'm doing my best to train around that and to stay conditioned for that. And if anything, that's the injury is motivating me even more because I have to be creative with my workouts right now. Um, I can't just go out and run miles. I can't even get on the treadmill. I can maybe do an uphill climb slowly. I'm having to figure out new and creative ways to can stay conditioned on a cardiovascular and muscular level. And so it's, it's tiring, quite frankly, mentally, um, to have to think of these things, but it, it is driving me to keep working out because I don't want to lose what I had gained previously, even though I can't do everything that I could do before. So, um, always having that one thing on the calendar for me is a great 
motivator personally. So um, back when I was playing roller derby, it was always the next game. So the next game on the calendar, uh, you know, I wanted to perform at my best. So I feel like I've always, I've had something on my calendar for over a decade now. It just looks different now because I do Spartan races or road races or things like that, uh, obstacle races. So there's always something I can put on my calendar, whether it's a, a longer race, a shorter race. It's just something to train for specifically that that I have that I want to perform well at. So that's that's what motivates me to keep up with my regimen. If I have an event on the calendar, I know very specifically what I'm training for. And I am always training for performance. I want to get better at a skill. I want to get better at running. I want to get better at completing obstacles. So these are the things I'm working on constantly. And so to have an event on the calendar gives me a deadline for what I'm specifically working for. All right. So thank you, Haley, for that question. Haley also asked another question uh, about what my favorite roller derby outfit was <laughs> that I wore in a game. And I can't really, I'm going to post that at some point in that comment thread. Um, it's really hard to narrow it down. I had some really great outfits over the years. Um, one of my favorites was actually worn in a game that I played, I think, against Haley up in Sacramento. So maybe I'll post a photo of that one because it's actually one of my very favorite roller derby photos of all time. So go to the Season Athlete Facebook page to see um, that when I post it. All right. Moving on to my next question. I'm loving these questions again. Uh, we are on Facebook live as we record this podcast. We are on Instagram live as we record, as we, as I record this podcast. So if anyone has any questions that come to mind related to these season athlete topics, please feel free to post and I'll do my best to answer live. All right. Next question comes from Laura Hine Meckelduff. She says, how much does nutrition play a role in your performance? That's a good one. So here's the deal. I am by no means perfect with my nutrition. I'm a picky eater. I do my best. I have improved my nutrition significantly over the years. Uh, people who knew me back in my roller derby days knew me as someone who would eat a can of Chef Boyardee pasta after every practice. True story. I did that. So uh, I used to eat processed foods all the time. And uh, I had to make some major changes. It wasn't until I became a fitness professional and took some nutrition classes and sports nutrition classes that I really took a hard look at what my nutrition looks like and made some serious changes. I made these changes based around what I like to eat. So, for example, I really love pasta. I love pasta. It's my birthday and I'm going to get pasta for dinner tonight. But... I can't eat it out of a can all the time and expect to perform as an athlete. Like if I were to eat Chef Boyardee pasta or my favorite raviolios and then try to run a race, I would feel really, really crappy. Um, it would affect me and I'd know it. So uh, you can't eat like that. But since I love pasta, I've made some changes. I switched to brown rice pasta. I switched to a, a sauce that has all natural ingredients. As I'm, I make... Uh, veggies. I cook up veggies and put them in my pasta. So I've made changes to make the things I like healthier and better for me and make me feel better. So that's just an example of something that I've done. But here's the deal. I do feel a difference if I don't eat well the night before or the morning of a workout or a race or a competition. If I go out to eat and I have margaritas, which I love, if I have margaritas and then I go try to knock out a killer workout, I'm going to feel crappy. I'm not going to perform at my best. I'm just not. So when I eat better, I perform better. Um, 
so what are we, what am I talking about when I talk about eating better? I'm talking about when I eat whole unprocessed foods on a regular basis, when I eat complex carbs, lean protein, healthy fats, and particularly when I hydrate well, when I'm well hydrated, uh, that helps me perform better. And so, um, that's, that's the simplest terms that I can put it in. Karen Porter, another one of my seasoned athletes. She is an adaptive athlete and nutritionist. She was in episode 20. So if you want to hear her story, go back and listen to episode 20. Her story is amazing. But she made a really good point that stuck in my mind when it comes to nutrition and competition. And that is a lot of people, when they ask nutrition questions, they ask, what should I eat the night before a race? What should I eat the morning of a race? What should I eat during or right after? And the point that Karen made is that you would never think of your fitness or your training that way. You'd never be like, all right, I got a race coming up. What workout should I do the night before so that I'll be totally ready for this race? I'm only doing this one. <laughs> what should I do to be totally ready for this race? You would never just do a workout the day before the race or a morning of a race or a competitive event. You wouldn't do that. Like you would train for months. Like you know that, okay, if I have a race coming up or an event coming up or a competition coming up, I'm going to train for months. So you you set a plan and you do that. And and so that's that's kind of the role of nutrition. Like Nutrition needs to be an ongoing thing as well, just like your fitness. And you don't make major changes right before an event, but you you treat it as something that you you really take care of on an ongoing basis. You eat well, you eat whole and processed foods, lean proteins, healthy fats, uh, avoiding processed foods, uh, limiting or avoiding alcohol and hydrating. So nutrition plays a pretty strong role in my performance. I am not perfect, but I notice differences when I'm eating well and not eating well. Okay. So, um, I just got a question that came in live. I'm going to take it right now. And that is from Elsa Duff. And she asks on Facebook live when trying to get back into fitness after serious illness, what do you think is more helpful to kick the dust off cardio or weights? That's an excellent question. And I don't know if I know the Ultimate right answer here is what I think based on everything I've learned. And I just think about the recommendations for what people do if they are sedentary. And the very, very least is get out and move. So like the recommendations is like 30 minutes of low to moderate impact cardio three to five days a week as the bare minimum that is generally recommended for fitness. So to answer your question, Elsa, cardio is a great place to start. Doing at least that 30 minutes of low to moderate cardio, walking, jogging, elliptical, but not anything crazy if you're coming out of a serious illness. You know, you want to take it slow. Weights are important, of course. Strengthening your body is important. Building that in is important. But I think at the very least, at the very least, get started with moving. Just start moving in a, in a really low impact way. And that way you just get your body a very basic level of cardiovascular conditioning and then build those weights back in. So that's kind of how I look at whether you're coming back from a serious illness or you're sedentary, it's just a set a person who has been sedentary. And when you're coming back from a serious illness, you've been sedentary for a while. So start with that basic recommendation, 30 minutes, low to moderate intensity cardio. And then when you're feeling ready, start building those weights in. Got a comment from Steve Wood. Every day is a race. 
even if at a slow pace. I like that. Every day is a race, even if at a slow pace. We all have things that we need to accomplish. We all have challenges in our lives. So no matter what your pace, you're training, you're training and you're, and you're getting ready. So thank you for that comment, Steve. And thank you for being on the Facebook live today for the recording of this podcast. All right, let's move on to another question that I received in advance. This is from Steve Sheely. He says, I am a 55 year old obstacle racer and still reach an occasional personal best. When can a seasoned athlete expect to reach an age where personal bests are no longer likely? Wow. That's, that's a good one too. And before I answer it, I have a comment from one of my everyday season athletes, the wonderful Marla Sweeney commented on that post. She's 72 years old and does Spartan races. I met her at the Spartan race world championships back in early October. She was on a Spartan women panel and I basically stalked her as she came off the stage from that panel and uh, demanded that she be on the season athlete podcast. And now I like to think that we're friends. So she said, age is just a number. There are always personal bests. What are your thoughts? So yeah, when it comes to personal bests, I, I like to think of the definition. What are the factors that create a likelihood of a personal best? And here's how I view it. I view a personal best as when your mind and body connect perfectly to execute a movement. And so we don't achieve personal bests if we're still learning something, right? If we're still in the process of trying to understand what it is we're doing mentally, it's hard to achieve a personal best physically. But when that mind-body connection happens and you click, that's when the magic happens. That's when we achieve those personal bests. That's when you learn a new skill. So when I first started doing obstacle races, I couldn't climb a rope and I couldn't wrap my brain and my body around how to climb a rope. And when it finally happened then it became a thing I could do. And that in and of itself was a personal best for me. I couldn't climb a rope and now I can. Um, and that happens all the time for me. And that's what I love about obstacle racing is that there's always the potential for those new skills to be learned and those personal bests to happen. So the way I view personal bests in regards to age, if you have the capacity to learn, you have the capacity to achieve a personal best, period. If you have the capacity to learn, you have the capacity to achieve a personal best. All right. So if you are able to learn something and master a skill, you can achieve a personal best. So age doesn't really limit that unless you no longer have the capacity to learn. But if you do, I think the potential exists for you to achieve a personal best. Also, there are so many different kinds of personal bests that can be achieved, large and small. So as you get older, it's possible that you may need to adjust what a personal best means to you. So I have a couple of examples. Dottie Gray uh, she's one of my seasoned athletes. She's my oldest seasoned athlete. So I think it's good to use her as an example if we're talking about at what point we can't, we can't achieve personal bests anymore. Dottie Gray is 92 years old. She's a runner and she used to run marathons. Now at 92 years old, she doesn't run marathons anymore, but she still runs a 5k almost every single weekend. And she's not running as fast as she used to run, but she's still running a 5k almost every single weekend. So I view that as a personal best. If I'm 92 years old and I'm able to run on 5K every single weekend, that in my mind is a personal best. That in my mind is something that many people cannot do and something I'm able to do. Like, that's amazing. So that's her version of a personal best. Another example, 66-year-old Pat Gallant Charette. She is a marathon swimmer and was a guest on the Season Athlete podcast, and I adore her. She set the record as the oldest woman across the English Channel. And so my, my point here is, 
Is she currently the fastest person to swim the English Channel? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm guessing probably not. She's doing something at her age that very few people are doing, and she's able to set a record. That's a personal best. So there's so many different ways we can view personal bests, and that can shift and transition as we get older. But again, if you have the capacity to learn, you have the capacity to achieve a personal best. So my advice is keep trying new things and keep learning. All right. So, Steve, I hope that answered your question. Thank you for asking that. Um, I have one more question that was asked in advance. I'm still keeping it open on Facebook Live or Instagram Live if anybody wants to ask any more questions before we wrap up the podcast today. But I have a question from Larry Indiviglia. He said, if Spartan and OCR did not exist, what competitive sport do you think you would be competing in and why? I like that question. And it really, I had to think about that for a second because it's hard to, uh, it's hard for me to think about doing something else right now. I mean, when I played roller derby and I played it for 11 years, it was hard for me to think about not doing that and doing something else for all of those years up until after I stopped, I had a really hard time stopping because I didn't know how to view my life without roller derby in it. Now I have found something else and I really, really love it. And now I don't see myself stopping that. But let's let's go to a world of hypothetical, uh, hypothetical universe where OCR doesn't exist or I never found it. What do I think I'd be doing and why? Well, as I was wrapping up my time as a roller derby skater, I started dabbling with running. So I started doing 5Ks and that moved on to 10Ks. And then eventually the weekend of my 40th birthday, I ran a half marathon. And this was while I was still skating. An interesting time because it actually really helped my roller derby endurance by doing this endurance running. But I was I found this new challenge and I had never viewed myself as a runner. And now I was finding that I could do this thing and it was really hard, but I could do it. And so it was really exciting for me. So I wonder if I had never found obstacle racing, would I have continued on this running path? That's very likely. I think I might have continued doing more and more half marathons, maybe trail races. Maybe I would have run a marathon by now because I have not run a marathon yet. Maybe I'd get into ultra running. I don't know. Uh, But I feel like I would have continued more down that path than I have since doing obstacle racing. And with obstacle racing, I do a lot of running. I do a lot of trail running. I'm spending many hours out on the course. So it's a little bit like an ultra, even if it's not ultra mileage. And so I feel like I might've gone down a similar path just differently. So maybe I would have done more road races. As it currently stands, I still do half marathons about once or twice a year max. I think I would do them more frequently. Um, so I think that's, that's probably what I would have done. And I think it's just that like my personality is what it is. And I think I would have, it's, I feel like we're in like parallel paths here and I, and it just would have been a parallel universe version of me that would still be doing similar things. I also wonder if I, uh, maybe would have seriously pursued becoming an American Ninja Warrior if I didn't have obstacle racing to really, take all my focus would I have watched American Ninja Warrior and thought oh let's do that and and just go all in on something like that and found a place where I could train that and because I I kind of have that in the back of my head as something that I'd be interested in doing but I've really just followed this OCR path and and I've enjoyed it so who knows you know where I would have ended up but it's fun to think about 
where I might have ended up. But I, I definitely feel like I'd be doing something. I don't think I there would there would be any sort of universe where I would retire from roller derby and not be active in some way. Because when I left roller derby, I didn't feel done competing. I didn't feel like my body was done. So I'm grateful that I've been able to find something where I could continue feeding that competitive need in me in a different way, in a way that works better with my schedule and my life as it currently stands. So um, I'm happy that my life ended up how it's ended up at this moment in time. So yeah, Uh, thanks for that question, Larry. That was a really interesting one to kind of explore. So I have another question on the Facebook Live. Carl is asking, at what age are you considered seasoned? Well, (laughs) here's the deal. In, in terms of this podcast, I made a decision on seasoned and that was 40. That was just, it's, it was a call I made and maybe it's because I'm in my early forties, but, uh, I find with 40, that's often the sort of mark when it comes to masters athletes in sports often is over 40. Sometimes it's over 30. Sometimes it's over 50, 40 is right there in the middle. So that's the decision I made for this podcast, but I also kind of more or less made seasoned the word. I, somebody else might have a different definition of seasoned. Some people only use seasoned as, uh, to define people who have played a sport for a long time. I kind of created a twist with it. So I, I created it as an age related thing that we are seasoned in life and, uh, and we are exploring athletics through, through our seasoned years. So that is just my definition of seasoned, but for different people, it might mean different things. You know, that's, that's the fun of being able to even think about these things. <laughs> you know, the fun of being able to make a podcast is I, I can decide on a topic and I can decide the parameters of it. So, you know, that's, that's, that's where I'm at with that. So Carl, I hope that answered your question in some way. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. What age do you think uh, people are considered to be seasoned and why? Um, So feel free to comment whether or not we're still recording the podcast. I love keeping the conversation going. I love talking about this stuff. So, so yeah, that was some fun. That was, that was a fun way to spend the afternoon on my birthday answering some of these great questions uh, for the podcast. So if anybody else has any questions and you want to ask me questions at any time, feel free to post on the Seasoned Athlete Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash Seasoned Athlete Podcast. You're also welcome to check out the Seasoned Athlete Podcast Instagram. That's uh, at Seasoned Athlete Podcast on Instagram. And if you want to shoot me an email with any questions whatsoever, you can send it to seasonedathlete at gmail.com. And of course, always visit the seasoned athlete website it's seasonedathlete.me again seasonedathlete.me why dot me because i am a seasoned athlete and so are you thank you for listening to the seasoned athlete podcast the music you heard in this episode is from bensound.com if this episode piqued your curiosity about obstacle racing go on over to seasonedathlete.me to download my free beginner's guide to obstacle racing i put together a pdf that's bursting with information that will help you feel confident and ready for your first race from race choice to gear selection to training and nutrition it's all in there again just go to seasonedathlete.me to download the beginner's guide to obstacle racing for free. Thanks again for listening. And I'll see you right back here next week with another interview with an amazing and inspirational seasoned athlete.